We're in the middle of a sermon series entitled, Filled, The Ordinary Life of the Believer. Last week we were in Acts chapter 3, looking at the healing of this man at the gate called Beautiful, and we reminded ourselves of a couple of things. First was, when the Holy Spirit comes, He always comes to produce something in our lives. Yes, there are times, and you saw it in chapter 3 last week, there are times when He will come to do a refreshing work. I pray that as we're at the table today and just being blessed by this music today. God is a good God who routinely gives His people those mountaintop, those refreshing experiences. But what we're seeing throughout, the pattern throughout Acts is when the Spirit comes, He doesn't just come to fill and to bless, but that filling always leads to be, being spilled out whether it's the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, but that's where we were last week. We saw that Peter and John, when, once they were filled, they gave themselves away. So that's a first reminder. And then we had 1.7 minutes to talk about prayer. And I'm not giving up on prayer because I fear Linda Rickman. And Reverend Linda Rickman <laughs> is all about prayer. So we're going to talk more about prayer. We just didn't have time uh, to do that. It's in Acts chapter 3. It's in our passage today. It's basically in every passage of the book of Acts. As I said last week, that is really the secret to Acts. There's no way to explain the explosion of the church in the book of Acts except for the activity of the Holy Spirit, yes, except for the activity of the people of God who made the choice to build relationships with people who didn't know the name, who didn't know Jesus, yes, but it's because people prayed. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's the precondition. As we look at those preconditions that Peter Gregg talks about in his book, Prayer 24-7, that reminder again that that's the precondition for the Holy Spirit to drop and to move. Uh, it's prayer. I read a, a social media post two weeks ago. Here's what it said, and I, I thought this was great. Never under, under, underestimate a woman powered by prayer and caffeine. So uh, <laughs> we joke all the time, don't mess with me until I've had my coffee, right? The devil, this world, hurts, whatever it may be, should never underestimate a spirit-filled believer if they are at their prayers. And that's what we see here. It's this non-stop pattern. These disciples who knew they were forgiven, they had just spent weeks with Jesus. They knew they were in right, restored relationship. They had seen the ascension. He's in charge. He's on the throne. He's gone back to heaven. Everything's okay. Yet they never hold God at arm's length. Where do we find them in Acts chapter 3? They're going to the temple again. They're always at their prayers. You're going to see Paul doing that elsewhere later in Acts. They never stop praying I'm going to talk to the men of the church real quick, and I'm going to ask you to answer these questions in your heart. Because we're preaching about the Holy Spirit, I don't want anybody to raise their hand. I don't want to get phone calls this week. All right? Okay. Are you good? Whether you were working or are working now, are you good at what the Lord's called you to do vocationally? You're good at that. Are you good at your hobby? Matter of fact, are you great at your hobby? Anybody here, men of the church, who are good at hunting or fishing video games you know some of y'all do that video games uh cooking or grilling yeah 
praying. And I'm telling you, when I, when I put that up, turn that light on myself, I'm just like, ooh. I think about hobbies or this or that, but so often when I think about my prayer life, listen, men typically idolize expertise. We love people who are great at what they do. And as a matter of fact, we won't do anything, sadly, even for the church, unless we're really good at it. We don't want anybody to see where we're lacking anything. And so oftentimes we get crippled or paralyzed in our prayer life because I'm just not great at it. I don't want to embarrass myself in a group of people praying, forget about that, but maybe even in my own prayer closet. I won't even do that because I stumble and bumble and I don't want to embarrass myself. Lord, I'll, I'll live for you. I'll do family for you. I'll serve for you. But we're going to miss that kind of relationship because I just bumble at that and Acts won't let you live there, men. It just won't. These guys had all kinds of excuses. Let's walk through some of these. They had all kinds of excuses to stay away from prayer. I read uh, last week there are three things that are the hardest to say. One is... Wish, wish, that sauce, whatever that Worcester, whatever that is. <laughs> I am sorry, and I need help. We just can't say it. And these disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And they were at their prayers. As many times as they had stumbled and bumbled in the Gospels, we see them in Acts, and they are always found at their prayers. These tough guys, yeah, there were times they ran, but these are fishermen. These are, this is a tax collector who knew what it was to take it on the chin and have people mad at you all the time. These are guys who could press through their fields, but am I going to let the inadequacy or my stumbling and bumbling? It doesn't keep them from their radical desperation to meet with God. It's going to have to be God who's in the middle of this, but many, many temptations they would have had was they're just too busy. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he's just commissioned them. You got to take this to the utter ends of the world, okay? And so I just got to get going. But I love here, they don't get going without praying. Maybe, maybe you feel that way. I'm just too busy to have a, a, a routine prayer life. This is where, by the way, I'll confess it to you, this is where the devil fights me all the time doesn't fight me in my prayers for you, my prayers for my family, those things. But resting in prayer, staying in prayer for a long season, I'm just tempted to get in and get out and, and to get on with doing good things. And I think it's because the devil knows that's where so much is won and lost in my relationship with God, but also in my life, ministry, and responsibilities I know we're busy and we're busy for good things, but I like what Paul E. Miller says in his book, A Praying Life. I think I recommended that to you last week on the Monday Memo. Praying will not offer you a less busy life. You're going to have to make that time. Praying will not offer you a less busy life, but it will offer you a less busy heart. Maybe the reason we're anxious and frenetic is because we haven't taken time. They were busy but they weren't too busy to pray. They also, they also experienced shame. The, just, just weeks ago, the worst shame. They could have been paralyzed by that. And listen, even the best saints in Scripture struggle with prayer. Teresa of, of Avila, uh, who sure went through some long, dark nights of the souls, used to, with her little hourglass for prayer, tap it or shake it. 
to get through the hour when she was having struggles. Martin Luther talked about shame in his life infecting his prayers and making him struggle. Shame is powerful. One of the members of our church shared with me a story a couple of weeks ago because of something we had talked about in church of a, of a friend of his, tough friend. I can't remember if it was out of high school or college, but tough guy, ball player, wild guy, and he wrecked his car. And he was trapped in his car for an hour or two before somebody could get to him. And barely, his legs were crushed, couldn't move. And the way he was angled, he said, he had mentioned in the story, yeah, I couldn't even get to my tape deck. The car kept running. And it was the same tape deck or CD that just kept running over and over again. But he was hyping up all the crash details. My legs were crushed, all the cool stuff. And then a member of our church asked him, what, what was playing on the tape for that hour or two hours while you were waiting? air supply. So they're, they're full circle. I'm getting all those stories. Nobody buy tickets. I know they're in Biloxi in a couple weeks. Don't buy me tickets to that. He didn't want to mention it. He didn't want to say it. And, and maybe because we've blown it, we don't want to go before the Lord. And uh, these disciples who have done that, they're always at their prayers. They know that there is grace to be found there. Don't let shame stop you. Thirdly, it could be distraction. And these disciples could have been distracted with good things. It's Pentecost. We've got so many people here. Let's go out and reach them. No, we gather as the Lord said. It's, it's, it's now time to get going. We've had thousands out. No, let's go to the temple for prayer. Philip Yancey in his book, Prayer, is pretty, dis- is pretty straightforward about distractions because they come to all of us, right? with our phones and with responsibilities and work schedules, kids' schedules, grandkids. There's so many good things to be about, so many things that will catch our eye. But I like what Philip Yancey says. People in a house fire or in the middle of being robbed do not complain about distractions. They are laser-focused on the moment. They're laser-focused on prayer, and they're desperate for God to get them out. And so we've got to be desperate in our prayers. We've got to be desperate. As Peter Gregg says in, his, uh, in the book I, I've recommended to you, he reminds us that the word prayer actually has the same root word as precarious. That word means not securely held, likely to fall or collapse. If you feel that, we've said it years ago, a preacher, uh, Felix Sutton, told me years ago, when your knees buckle, let them. Let them and fall to your knees in prayer. Don't be distracted by this world. There are right right things that we're doing and responsibilities, but we've got to be laser-focused on that because that's the model. Even with distractions, even with shame, even with busyness, uh, 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 Acts 2, it's on the list of what they were devoted to, prayer. Acts 3, we find them at the hour of prayer. Today, Acts 4, when you get to the end, they, once they had prayed, that's when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and everything shakes. Acts 6, even the, even the preachers say, listen, we're busy with good stuff, taking care of widows and all that, but listen, I need to be more about my prayers. So we'll talk about Stephen and Philip. And those who were chosen, because it's right for us to be about our prayers. Acts 14, praying and fasting. Acts 16 is a gold mine. Yes, they're going to pray. If there's an exorcism, which you find there, of course you're going to pray. But I love this reminder for verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
earthquake, chains fall off. And the jailer, when he sees what's happened, is going to hurt himself. But Paul and, and them won't leave. Because when you're filled by the Holy Spirit, you care about others. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not filled with anger and bitterness. And, and they won't leave because I'm not going to do anything that's going to cost somebody else their life. And that jailer comes to saving faith. It's the model throughout. Prayer is the precondition. precondition for the Holy Spirit uh, to drop. And again, these disciples are not too busy to let God move in prayer. M. Craig Barnes says in his book, Sacred Thirst, we're all going to have times in the desert. And maybe some of us are there. Maybe it's because of disobedience, or maybe it's just a, the ebb and flow of life as a believer. We're all going to have dryness in our walk with the Lord. We're going to have those desert times. But what he says is the worst mistake is to get used to living in dry places. Don't get used to that. Go to the temple. Get with somebody else. Stay in the Word. Stay in worship so that the fullness of God can come and that God can work in and through because we've been in our prayers. And here's why. Last thing. It's not just that the Spirit comes to produce. It's not just the Spirit. The precondition is prayer. But thirdly, it's the reminder here. You see it almost immediately in Acts. It's persecution. When you and I take up the name of Jesus Christ, the world is going to typically push back. This is the first miracle in Acts, chapter 3. We've just healed somebody lame since birth. Isn't this great? Pushback. First, it's just like Jesus. As soon as he begins to heal, by the very beginning of Mark, they're already plotting to kill him. It should come at no surprise when you and I, and the dividing point is the name. By whose name did you do this? When you and I take up the name of Jesus Christ, in this world, there will be push back. Verse 4, 7, when they ask the question, by what name? This week we celebrate our nation declaring their independence. And we remember the end of that document. They knew good and well, when you choose one kingdom, the other kingdom will press back. That document closes. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And you see that when Jesus is talking in what are some of the sweetest moments of all of Scripture. He's gathered them together just before the cross. And he tells them wonderful things. In my Father's house, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. And then he promises them that the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful words in John 14. You get to John 15. Again, he promises them, the helper is coming. The spirit is coming. By the way, the world's going to hate you. And the world's going to persecute you. John 16. He reminds them again, the helper is coming. In this world, they will kill you. In this world, you will have trouble. Whether you go back to Acts chapter 2, when they ridiculed them for being full of sweet wine, to Acts 3 and 4, a beautiful miracle to bless somebody, and immediately there's pushback because of the name of Jesus. Don't speak anymore about the name of Jesus. It's not the end of the struggle when the Spirit comes to fill. It might actually encourage your struggle because you will not live like this world, and this world does not play. It just doesn't. 
when you and I love like Jesus, when you and I live like Jesus. How is it? How is it? You need to be at your prayers because there is going to be struggle. Maybe even, not as what Corey said this morning or as I was reading through our, uh, uh, the magazine Voice of the Martyr, Martyrs yesterday, seeing what's happening around the world for those who take up the name of Christ. But there's going to be, there's going to be hurts. I'm thinking about my extended family and because I take up the name sometimes and what that means. I'm thinking about friendships that are strained because I, be, I believe in the name and it's only his name through which men and people may be saved. And so we come to this meal. We come to this meal recommitting ourselves to the one who gave all for us, and I pray to find his grace anew, his strength anew. Maybe you come to this meal because you know you're needing the, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. You come for that. But also maybe it's because you're fighting for your kids and your grandkids. You're fighting uh, to win your friends to Christ. You've just been taking it on the chin because you've stood up for Christ. May this also be a meal that nourishes your soul, encourages your soul, and that the Lord will meet you here. As we come to this meal, we're reminded that Christ invites to his table all who repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. We remember that on the night in which Christ was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples, breaking it and said, take, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.